Aloha, everyone. Welcome back to the Oahu Church of Christ. So grateful to be together this morning. Even though we're not meeting physically as a congregation, I'm grateful that we're able to be connected by God and through His Spirit. So I want to make sure you grab your Bible. Grab your Bible because we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures today and take some notes also. I love the fact that we've got families worshiping together in their homes uh, for the last several months. I love the fact that we've got small groups of people starting to uh, join and worship together. Uh, But uh, as the restrictions start to loosen up here in the island, I want to uh, remind you a couple things. First of all, stay safe and continue practicing healthy habits. Uh, Let me remind you, we are still in a pandemic And it's not as if COVID-19 has just all of a sudden disappeared. So let's make sure we stay safe and healthy. Amen. God is our ultimate answer for our nation and our world today. Uh, Brother Ed Morrell sent me an article this last week about a politician from Texas who voiced his concerns about the nation. And in summary... Let me tell you what he said. He said this. He said, we have racism in this country, but it's really an issue of love. You cannot love your fellow man if you don't love God. And we have a country where we've been working really hard to kick God out. And then he continues saying, you can't change the world and the culture of a country until you change the character of mankind, and you can't change that unless you change the heart. And he mentioned that the world needs a lot of healing right now. And he said such healing won't come through commissions and blue ribbon panels and more laws. We can only heal ourselves if we really reach out and love one another. Isn't that true, brothers and sisters? This is so true in so many ways. If we continue to leave God out of the equation, then there's really no hope for you and for me. There's really no hope for our nation, and there's really no hope for us eternally. There's a passage in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. The Bible says, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It couldn't be made more simple than that. God is speaking to the Israelites at the time. But the principle is good for us today. He says, turn to me and be saved. Turning to God is the answer for our lives and the answer for our nation. Legislation and rules will not completely do it and solve all the problems. As I've mentioned before, there is no government. There is no one human leader. There is no earthly system that's going to solve all of our problems that we have in our world. It's going to require returning to God. But here's the thing. I'm unsure whether this is really going to happen or not. Whether people, whether our nation, whether the world is really going to turn to God. So what can you and I do? I think, one, we need to pray. We need to pray for our government leaders regardless of our views or our opinions. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 2, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, 
And here it is, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We need to pray for our government leaders, our state officials, our national leadership. Number two, what can we do? Stand up. Stand up. Do your part. Do your part as an individual. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. We need to do our part. God expects us to be able to help take care of each other and make sure the people are treated fairly. Lastly, what can you and I do in the midst of what's happening in our world today? I believe we need to make sure we're right with God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's the thing. God wants you and me to be saved. That is a fundamental spiritual fact. He wants us to know him, to have a relationship with him. We are all made in his image. We are God's creation. But the spiritual truth is not every child of God is going to inherit eternal life. And the reason why is because people will choose whether to obey God or disobey God. And it's only those who obey God. It's only those who are fully committed to following Jesus Christ as a disciple of his that are going to inherit eternal life. And that takes responding to the saving message of the gospel. It requires us believing in who Jesus is. It requires repenting from our sins and how we fall short of God, putting Jesus in the right place in our lives, the number one position. It requires being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're right with God. Amen? Amen. Well, let's transition a little bit. Where are we going to go with this lesson for the rest of our time? I want to be able to talk about what happened after the resurrection of Jesus. I want to talk about who the helper is, as our series is based off of the helper. And you'll see who that is. I want to talk about what the helper does for us. And I want to talk about how we receive the helper. It's so important for us to be able to walk with the helper. So what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I want you to turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 1. But you'll see Jesus didn't go directly to heaven after he resurrected from the dead. The Bible talks about how he spent 40 days with his disciples, convincing them, showing them different proofs, convincing them and strengthening their faith. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. I talked a lot about the kingdom last week, so you're going to have to view that lesson from last week. But that's what Jesus talked about, this spiritual fraternity that was going to exist on earth as well as in heaven. And then in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is giving a direct clue to his disciples right here. And he's talking about, don't leave Jerusalem because I'm going to give you this gift. 
I'm going to give you this gift. And what is this gift that Jesus is going to give them? It's the Holy Spirit. He is the ultimate helper. And this is something Jesus told them about even before he resurrected from the dead. In John chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says, But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, or in other translations, the New King James Version, it's translated the helper. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This was always part of God's plan that Jesus would come to earth representing God, showing us who God is and was. He would die. He would ascend to heaven. But after he left, then the Holy Spirit, the helper, would be sent to those who follow the Lord. You can almost hear Jesus saying things like, hey, guys, it's, it's better that I'm going to leave. Because if I stay, then I'm going to be physically limited with time and location. But by me leaving, after I ascend to heaven, the Holy Spirit, the helper, is going to be sent to each one of you. And I'm not going to be limited to just one person or one location, but wherever disciples of Christ are, I will be there. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to think that God's plan was not just to be limited by one space or time, but he would be multiplied in the lives of other true followers of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Jesus can be in every home where there are true disciples of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting there watching this and you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what? Jesus is there. If you've got the Holy Spirit residing in you, then that means that Jesus, God, is there. It's an amazing thought. And this was the church 2,000 years ago. And this is the church even today. I really believe what COVID-19 has done is God has accelerated his ability to get into every home in our day and age. It's amazing the fact that we're, we're viewing this online. We're able to uh, wake up in our home and be with our family and to get spiritually fed and, and, and use technology to be able to be leveraged and, and to see more people having the ability to hear the message of God. God has accelerated himself getting into the homes. There are more opportunities now for people to hear the life-saving message of the gospel. There are more opportunities for people to be saved. And we're going to leverage technology to spread God's message throughout the whole island. And who knows where else the message of God will continue to go further. But Jesus predicted that the Holy Spirit would be given. And it's better that he left. Then in Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Uh, Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, a little bit like Thanksgiving, where people celebrated uh, much thanks, praising the Lord. Thousands upon thousands of Jews gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate this, uh, this holiday. Penta meaning 50. It was 50 days after the Passover uh, festival and holiday, uh, about 10 days after Jesus had ascended to heaven. And I think for us, you know, we celebrated Easter 
probably about 63 days ago. So not quite Pentecost time, but in principle, very similar. The resurrection is still good for us today. It's not as if Jesus just resurrects one time a year. When he resurrected, it was good for all time. And the effect should still be impacting us today. And then in verse 2 and 3 of Acts chapter 2, look what happens here. It's an incredible scene. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I want to show you a picture here of the traditional site of the upper room in Jerusalem. This is in the southern part of Jerusalem. And whether this room looked exactly like that or not, we just have a sense of perhaps where the Holy Spirit landed to influence the apostles and to to shuttle in a movement that would never, would, would, nothing would ever rival the movement that God ushered in. But imagine, imagine you're in that upper room and then all of a sudden uh, you go to the door and a powerful wind just encompasses and envelops this whole room. Tongues of fire, as the Bible talks about, falls on the different apostles. It's an amazing scene. I can't it's hard, it's hard to even imagine. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the influence of this spirit that's described as wind and fire uh, enables the apostles to start speaking in other tongues. And biblically, this is an understandable language of that day. It's not like the babbling and the noises that uh, we hear of today. Those are not biblical tongues. God enabled men who didn't know these languages beforehand to be able to speak in other languages so that the gospel could spread throughout the world. It's an incredible scene of what's happening. It wasn't just an event with the Holy Spirit. It was an encounter. There was influence. There was impact happening when someone was influenced by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit here is described as wind and fire. Let me talk a little bit about wind for a moment here. Uh, the Hebrew word ruach, uh, the, the, the Greek word is pneuma. It's the breath of God. Now, wind is not visible, but, it's, it's, uh, it's, but we see the impact. We absolutely can see its impact. We can hear the wind at times, but it's invisible. Listen to how Jesus described the Holy Spirit, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, the Spirit is described as wind. We can't control wind, but certainly it can control us. It can influence us. In many ways, it's the same way with the Spirit. We don't control the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God can absolutely can control us and influence us in life if we allow the Spirit to do that. Wind is a non-tangible power, but it has tangible impact. Sometimes wind is gentle, and sometimes it is forceful. That's how the Holy Spirit is described. Look at this picture here of this tree that's been uprooted. How did it get there? 
Certainly, it wasn't a gardener who just came and dug it up with a shovel. No, this was caused by wind. We have, we have, we have incredible winds here in Hawaii. We have hurricanes. We've got tsunami watches. We've got all these types of things. It's amazing the impact that wind can make. We don't originate the wind, and we certainly can't control it. But what, what does wind do? Wind, we see the impact. Wind uproots things. Wind tears things away. Wind rips things out. So how do you know if the Spirit is in a person? How do you know if the Holy Spirit is, is in a believer of Christ? Well, you, you will see that the Spirit rips things out of their life. You will see that the Spirit uproots things in their life, and they're different. They're changed. How do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, a question you can ask yourself is, has anything been uprooted in your life recently? Has there, have you allowed the Spirit to tear things out, to tear out sinful things, to tear out the anger, to uproot the, the porn, to uproot the greed, to uproot the selfishness and pride? If a person is allowing the Holy Spirit to influence them, then that's what the Spirit can do. The Spirit can actually rip apart, tear away, uproot the bad things in our life and to leave God. You know, the Bible says that we can actually quench the Holy Spirit. People who actually have the Holy Spirit can actually diminish it, damper it, extinguish the Holy Spirit's power. And how do we do that? Well, we rely more on our own, our own convictions, our own compromised sinful nature. We rely more on those types of things, and we don't allow the Spirit to change us and to help us be the person that God has wanted us to be. When you, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you have a brand new power to help you live for Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That's what it means to live a born-again life. You're starting to live a life that's, that's unrecognizable from your past. It's a life that is so different in the way that you think, in the way that you behave, in the way that you treat people. That's what the Spirit will do. We don't need to get more of the Holy Spirit in us if we have it. No, the Holy Spirit needs to get more of you. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to influence you to feel its impact. That's what wind does. In verse 3 of chapter 2, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Let me talk a little bit about fire. Fire burns. Fire is about purity. It heats things up. That's what the Spirit will do in our lives. The Spirit will purify us. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 8, what does the helper, what does the Spirit do? Well, we see that the Spirit will convict us. In verse 8, Jesus says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is directing how the Spirit is going to convict us of guilt in these areas of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. The Spirit works on our conscience. It's that voice that we hear. Not our voice necessarily, but it's the voice that works in our conscience. 
And, you know, if we keep sinning and sinning and over and over and over again, our, our, our conscience actually can be hardened like calluses on a hand. So we don't have any more feel. We don't have feel for the consequences of sin. We don't have feel for, for the dangers of, of where we're going. The Spirit works on our conscience. In regard to sin, we fall short of the glory of God. The Spirit will help to convict us of that. We'll be humble. The fires of the Spirit will burn away. Burn away the bitterness. Burn away the resentment. Burn away jealousy, pride, anger, lust, and greed. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, then it can help burn away these sins. In regard to righteousness, the Spirit's going to make us passionate. The Spirit's fire will help us burn with passion for God. We'll be excited. We'll be passionate. We'll be on fire. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be hot for God if we allow the Spirit to influence us. In regard to judgment, the, the Spirit's fire will absolutely sober us that there is a judgment one day and people are either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. And there is an accountability that you and I will have to face with God. There is judgment, accountability for our lives, and we'll be answered for the Lord. The Holy Spirit, I hope we see what the Holy Spirit is trying to do for us. The Holy Spirit wants to set us on fire. He wants us to get excited and passionate, burning with passion for the Lord, that we're living for God. The Spirit's going to help us, purifying us for the Lord. You know what we need? We need hot hearts for God. Hot hearts. I pray that God gives us holy heartburn and that our hearts are burning for him. That we're not just we're not just settling for the things of this world and our mindset and we're not just settling for a, a, a mundane life, but we're we're settling for God and we're allowing the spirit to influence us. If you have the spirit in you, I pray that God makes us like the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. When the disciples met Jesus, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's what the Holy Spirit will do. The Spirit will burn in us like fire. Here's a good question. When's the last time you added something to your conviction list? What do I mean by this? I mean... You're listening to the Spirit, you're following the Spirit, you're walking with the Spirit, and you're saying, hey, I'm not going to sing that song anymore because these lyrics aren't really helpful. Or I'm not going to watch this movie because it's just not wholesome, and I just don't think I should be watching these things. I'm not going to look at this website because it's impure. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to react this way because the Spirit is telling me otherwise. See, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. We are called to live separate lives for the Lord. God did not die for you and for me so that we could blend in with the world, so that we could follow the patterns of this world and mimic the patterns of this world all over again. We're not meant to blend in. We're meant to be distinct. We're meant to stand out, not because of who we are. It's because of who God is and who God has made us. And Jesus has left physically, but he's given us the Holy Spirit if we've got the Holy Spirit in us. 
and we're meant to be different in our mind, in our behavior. We're not to, meant to blend in. You know, we're not meant to say, oh, I can watch this, I can do that, I can have this boyfriend, I can have this girlfriend, and all of a sudden, you're not living a distinct life. You're just kind of blending in with the world. Some may wonder if some of the Christians are really Christians because they may not be different in how they act. Let this convict us. The Spirit convicts us of guilt in regard to sin righteousness, and judgment to come. So not only does the Spirit convict us, the Spirit comforts us. In John chapter 14, verse 26, but the counselor, that's also translated the helper or the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is amazing. Not only does the Spirit convict us, but the Spirit comforts us. The Spirit will counsel us and give us wisdom and insight at different crossroad moments of our lives. The Spirit will help us to answer questions, which path should I take? Which direction should I go? And that word, counselor, can be translated helper. And that's who we're talking about today. We're talking about the helper. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the greatest advocate for our lives. In other words, what the Spirit does is the Spirit is an advocate for us, one who speaks in our defense. Isn't that amazing? Someone who is called in to stand by our side and help us in every way. I want you to picture that. God send us a helper to be able to be there with us. It's a picture of a friend being called in to be by the side of their friend who is troubled or distressed or confused. It's a, it's a picture of a, a military commander coming in to help with a discouraged army. It's a picture of a lawyer who comes to speak in someone's defense as he needs help in pleading their case. This is who the Spirit of God is as our helper. I mean, imagine the Spirit standing by your side, my side, and you know, imagine him, he just puts his arm around you, and he's there, for, he's there with you. He's there to walk with you. He's there to help you. He's there to strengthen you. He's there to encourage you. He's there to spur you on. The Holy Spirit can be your best friend. If you let him. I remember uh, when Nick, our oldest son, he's been married now for over six years. But I remember he was dating Shelly uh, for many, many years. And uh, after two years, we were, we were in Los Angeles. We were in Disneyland, coming back from the park, coming back to our car. And I, was, I remember just having Nick uh, kind of embracing him as we walked side by side to the Disneyland tram. And I remember him saying to me, he said, Dad, there's probably something I need to tell you, uh, but, you know, I, I just want to tell you. But, uh, you know, for the first time after two years, uh, I actually kissed Shelly on her birthday. And, you know, I stopped, I put my arms, and I, I looked at Nick. I said, Nick, 
Man, that's so incredible. Thank you. First of all, I'm thinking, wow, here's my son telling me this kind of stuff. This is amazing. And I told him that. I was so grateful that he, he trusted me that much where he could actually share something really personal like that. And, and I, I remember grabbing him by the shoulders and looking him in his face. I said, Nick, thank you so much for telling me that. I want you to, I, you know, I want you to feel free to wait another two years before you kiss Shelly again. And we had a good laugh, a good laugh. But, you know, in many ways, the Holy Spirit is like that for you and for me. We can walk with him. We can talk with him. We can confide in him. And you know what? He's always going to tell us the truth. He's always going to remind us of the promises of God. He's going to lead us down the right path. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's our comforter. He's the one who leads us down the right way. Where do you need comfort most now in your life? Are you in a position where you lost some employment? Are finances tough and difficult right now? Are you stressed out because of the pandemic? Not getting along perhaps with your spouse or even some family members because you've been on lockdown for all this time? I don't know, maybe you're losing hope. Maybe, maybe there's someone and it's hard to forgive that person. And you've got some bitterness or you're holding a grudge. Here's the amazing thing. The Spirit can melt your heart. The Spirit can soften your heart. If you allow the Spirit of God to lead you down the right path, you will absolutely be changed. He is here to help. He's here to help you. He's here to help me. And the Spirit will give you the direction that you need in your heart and where it should go. So the Spirit convicts and the Spirit comforts us. I want to end by talking about how do we get the helper? How do we actually receive the Spirit of God? In Acts 2 verse 38, this is after the Passover festival. People are celebrating Pentecost. And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The apostle Peter gets done preaching his message about Jesus dying for people's sins. Thousands of people are convicted. And they ask Peter, what do we need to do? Peter replies, you need to repent and be baptized. See, we don't lose out by Jesus actually not being here physically. We don't lose out. We actually gain with the presence of the Holy Spirit with us and in us. This is an incredible plan of God. It's amazing. Just as Jesus' disciples asked him questions, fellowshiped with Jesus, looked at him for advice and guidance, so we can look to the Holy Spirit in the same way. We don't have Jesus physically with us, but guess what? We've got the Holy Spirit in us. This is incredible. It's like you having a personal Jesus living in you. How amazing is that? How precious is that? That, that, that the Spirit of God would actually reside in your physical temple here on earth. Think about that for a moment. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is now living in you if you've got the Spirit. How much power is available for you to change, 
to dream, to have vision, to make an impact in this life. God wants to use your life to make a difference. It's really up to you and to me how much we're going to let the Holy Spirit influence us. It really is of how much you're going to take advantage of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you learn to look upon him and lean on him for your guidance and your wisdom and your fire burning within your gut for God, then you're going to get a lot of help. But if you choose to compromise and you choose to go back into your sinful lifestyle and you compromise in every way then and, and you don't rely on the Holy Spirit, then life may not be that different for you. And sadly, many, many people, including Christians, think or act that they don't need any help. They don't need any help. We like to think that we can do it by ourselves. We like to think that we can do it on our own energy and our own nature. It shows. How does it show? It shows by not reading the Bible. It shows by not praying in the Spirit. It shows by not relying on God. We do need help. We absolutely need help. And God has made the greatest helper available. It would be a shame for you and for me not to take advantage of all the resources that God gives us. A total shame. For example, my last scripture here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, we need the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus. We need God to defend us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Apostle John is speaking to those who already become disciples, born-again Christians. And that phrase, one who speaks, that comes from that word, that, that, that original word meaning the advocate. We've got an advocate. And what does this mean? It means right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. And he's taking up the role of an advocate for you and for me. He is helping us in heaven. He is speaking for us in our defense before the throne of God. He is our legal, spiritual attorney that is defending us before the Lord God the Father. And God knows that even after we become Christians, we're going to sin. We're never going to attain perfection of not having sin in our lives. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble. Sometimes we're going to fall flat on our face. But instead of God turning away from you and from me when we sin, and instead of him keeping his distance when we sin, God has provided, this is so incredible, God has provided an advocate who speaks up for us in our defense, even after we become disciples of Jesus Christ. He speaks up for us. Jesus points to the blood that he has shed and speaks in our defense, gaining forgiveness of our sins so that we come to God and we confess our sins. Guess what? Jesus has already secured forgiveness for us. How incredible is this? Think about this, guys. We have the most incredible God that we serve. He's given us the helper. And this is not an excuse for us to continue sinning. That scripture says these things are written so that we might not sin. 
we should be sinning less and less and less as we get older in the faith because we are allowing the Holy Spirit to influence our lives, to influence our lives. This should be an encouragement for you and for me that even when we do mess up in life, there is guaranteed forgiveness and fellowship with God all because of Jesus Christ, all because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. What, what more could we hope for? Honestly, brothers and sisters, what more could we hope for? God has set everything up so that we would have complete victory. He has not left you or me alone to walk this Christian life. He is there for us. He provides us with the help, the helper, the Holy Spirit. In other words, he, he does not do everything for us. The Holy Spirit doesn't do everything for us. He's the helper. He helps us to do things. For example, if I, if I ask you to come over and help me move a, a bed mattress, pretty heavy, and you came over and you started lifting that mattress and moving it, but I just stood there. I just stood there and watched you move it all by yourself. You wouldn't really be helping me. Now, yeah, in some ways you would be helping me, yeah. But I'm not doing anything. You're moving it all by yourself. You're doing all the moving. No, to be, to be helping me and to be a helper, I would have to be lifting the mattress as well with you. Then you would be assisting me and helping me. This is the picture of the Holy Spirit, guys. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help us, not to do it for us, but to help us. To help us. He helps us in spiritual things. He helps us in our prayer life. The Spirit helps to translate even our words so that it's understandable to the Lord. The Spirit helps us in our relationship with God the helper helps us with other people. The, help, the, the, the Spirit of God helps us in preaching. I feel like right now the Spirit of God is helping me preach and to remember different promises and convictions that I need to be able to communicate. The Spirit of God is helping me. He helps me. He helps you if you've got the Spirit of God. We can learn to lean on Him for help in our jobs in our families, with everything we do, God gives us an advantage to face any circumstance, and it's called the Holy Spirit, the helper. And once again, it comes down to whether you're gonna take advantage of the relationship you have with the Spirit of God or not. It all comes down to how much you're willing to draw from his fire, from his wind, from his impact that he wants to make in your life. We have a helper today. The ultimate helper that the world desperately needs is from God, and he's called the Holy Spirit. For those who realize and those who commit their lives to him, God has set up victory for his followers, for his faithful children, by giving us the ultimate helper in the Holy Spirit. As I close, what are the challenges that are before us? Well, number one, you got to lean on the Holy Spirit. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin and been baptized, then the Bible promises that your sins have been forgiven and you've received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I hope today you are refreshed on who the Holy Spirit is. I hope you study about him more. I hope you make the Holy Spirit your best friend.
in your walk with God, your greatest companion. Lean on the Holy Spirit. Or lastly, receive the Holy Spirit. If you're not a disciple of Christ, then I want to encourage you to reach out to your friend, fill out that digital connection card, reach out to us. We want to be able to help support, study, lead you through the scriptures to teach you what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? But I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Look forward to repenting. Look forward to getting baptized so that your sins can be forgiven and you'll be able to receive the Holy Spirit of God. Reach out. Reach out to your friend. Reach out to us. It will be one of the best decisions you will ever make as God wants all men to be saved. I'm grateful to be worshiping God today with you. Let's appreciate what God has done for us. He's our answer. He's given us the ultimate helper in the Holy Spirit. God bless. Excitingly, brothers and sisters, someone who has responded to the call of God, repents of his sin and is baptized for the forgiveness of his sin and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to be able to announce last Thursday night, Uncle Walter repented and got baptized in Jesus Christ. What a celebration at 79. That was wonderful. He commits his life. That was the best customized baptism. Uh, Shelly Miyashiro, uh, the Psyche family, the Miyashiro family, we celebrate with you. God bless.